What is cracker lacking hardwood knocks listeners and newcomers? First time hardwood knocks listeners. I am Dan Valley coming at you solo for a mailbag. This week was absurd after we published like 10 podcasts last week. Uh, I anticipated more news upcoming this week, so I left everything open to try and do like real time reactions to it. I was cautioned beforehand that we wouldn't have anything until Summer League got underway in Vegas. I just didn't think that was the case. I was clearly wrong. So we're coming at you with a mailbag. This is probably going to be a two-part mailbag. Um, If you asked a question via Discord, uh, you will definitely have your question answered on this mailbag. Uh, If you ask multiple ones, they'll probably be split up. I went with topical ones for the next one that will drop Monday. Um, This is why you should join our Discord, the links to which is in the podcast description and the YouTube description, because you get priority on your mailbag questions. But I got so many great ones because I'd like to throw them out to Twitter um, that I'm splitting it into two parts. And so that will drop on Monday. This one is coming out on Thursday. Be on the lookout for it. I might send out another solicitation just to load up a little bit more on questions for part two. Lots of great questions. Just before we get started very quickly, please, please, pretty please continue help building our community by subscribing to our podcast wherever you get your podcast. Give us ratings, reviews. Give us recommendations as well. Tell friends, family members, frenemies, random acquaintances on the internet, coworkers who you know like basketball, that this is a league-wide NBA podcast that does not take itself too seriously and only sucks like 25 to 57% of the time. I would call that pretty impressive. Um, also, subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't done that already. Help us get to... We're, we're past, we're well past 1K subscribers. I'd like to get to 2K subscribers very soon. Definitely before the start of next season, I'd like to have more than that. So help us out there. And again, recommendations, word of mouth, help a ton. Um, so subscribe to YouTube. Follow us on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. Um, also, our TikTok is at Hardwood Knox and our IG is at Hardwood underscore Knox. So all those places. You can follow me on Twitter. That's on the screen if you're watching on YouTube or I'm at Dan Valley F-A-V-A-L-E. Hopefully I kept that to under three minutes. Let's dive into this mailbag. Um, and really hope that none of this becomes outdated too soon. Again, I went topical here, and I'm starting with Discord members are going to get first dibs on the questions. Um, I have one. It's a reoccurring Twitter listener that's going to go first as well because he pairs, they paired, excuse me, with a nice question from Discord, and it's on Kevin Durant, and holy shit, like, as this is coming out of my mouth, who knows, that could become outdated in a millisecond. So we belly flop into the mailbag now. Ryan. Ask, how long do we give the patience of the league on the KD Kyrie trades before the rest of the NBA gets restless and starts making moves again? This is paired with a question from Cade on Twitter. What are the chances Phoenix keeps Mikael Bridges in a KD trade? So let's begin with Ryan. Uh, look, the league did not completely shut down during free agency. Most of like the big stuff is done. Um, the things that I think we're waiting to see are DeAndre Ayton's next contract. Is that coming as a sign-and-trade that's part of a KD deal going to Phoenix? Um, is it a straight sign-and-trade elsewhere? At this point, if you're looking for teams that into the moratorium will be able to have um, the flexibility necessary to leverage an offer sheet, there's Indy eventually or San Antonio, and then that's basically it, which is why I think if he's leaving Phoenix, it ends via sign-and-trade. Um, that is definitely going to wait on the KD outcome, for sure, I would guess. I mean, I, I could be wrong here. I've been wrong about a lot of things already. Uh, the rest of the stuff, like I don't think Colin Sexton not having signed, I really don't think that has anything to do with the Kevin Durant stuff. Um, I think what you might see, though, is the trade market will be a lot different. And you'll see certain teams like Phoenix has made moves on the margins, Bismarck Biombo, Damian Lee. Um, we've seen the Lakers do the same with Lonnie Walker the fourth using their mini MLE. Um, they brought in Thomas Bryant. That was a really good signing, actually, on the veterans minimum for them. But Lakers, maybe even the Heat, who still sort of need a four. uh, And then the Suns, of course. Like, we'll see those teams 
start to be um, more aggressive either on the trade market or sign additional free agents. There are other teams, though, that either maybe they're waiting to see whether they're part of this huge deal or they just have these trade targets that teams will be interested in. We know they're on the block and everyone's doing their due diligence on Kevin Durant first. So Atlanta with John Collins and or Clint Capella, I can expect that to heat up after the Kevin Durant stuff is over with um, just Utah and whatever the hell that they're doing. Are they tearing it down? Are they really rebuilding around Donovan Mitchell? Like Danny Ainge said, we will get to that later in this podcast. Uh, I have no idea at this point, but they're probably waiting on some of this. They've been linked to DeAndre Ayton. I do not understand that. Again, I'll go in detail more with that in a little bit. So I think we'll start to see maybe trade rumors pick up, and there will be some additional free agent signings, even the Nets. But they went and they got out with TJ Warren, depending on how many roster spots that they have to fill or needs that they're going to have after the KD Kyrie trade. So there will definitely be more business. I think the trade rumor mill might ramp up, and it wouldn't surprise me if, let's just say the Kevin, I think it's the Kevin Durant deal that's holding everything up. And like, I don't know what other team wants Kyrie aside from the Lakers. I could see the Mavericks if the price is right. Um, and they want to use picks to wash off some of their like longer term or less savory salaries. But really beyond that, it feels like the Lakers are bust there. I could see after the KD trade sort of like this trickle down effect where the Raptors eyeing someone on a smaller scale and they didn't get Kevin Durant. Um, or uh, are we going to see Atlanta all of a sudden make some trades or Utah start willing and dealing? I could see sort of an onrush of trade transactions more so than free agency, smaller signings um, there for sure. Uh, but mostly seeing the trade actual transactions pick up and, and certainly the rumors that aren't related to to KD. Um, and then the other thing is like the team that trades for KD might not be done. Are they going to go out and make other trades? How many, you know, presumably it's going to be a consolidation trade. They're going to have to go out on the free agent market. That gets really interesting as well. So that's what I would expect um, to the question posed by Kate of what are the chances Phoenix keeps Mikhail Bridges in a KD trade? I want to say it's at about 50, 50, because I know we've heard that, the Brooklyn Nets are going to prioritize players. Uh, that makes, I guess, some sense. If you're planning on moving forward with Ben Simmons, you did already trade for Royce O'Neal. I just think that in the end, you're going to have to prioritize like picks to some extent. More than that, if it is Phoenix, and we know that Phoenix is Kevin Durant's top choice at this point. If it is Phoenix, uh, they're going to do everything in their power, I would imagine, to keep Mikael Bridges just because you're not making it out of this with DeAndre Ayton would be my guess, whether he's going to Brooklyn or another team. You're putting a lot of pressure then on your defense um, on a Chris Paul who's getting older. Devin Booker was a lot better last year, but that's in part because of the flexibility that Ayton and Bridges and then having Jay Crowder there too afforded him. If you remove two of those bodies, life gets difficult for Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, even Chris Paul. They have, you know, their centers right now are just unimpressive. That rotation without Ayton, what is that going to look like after the fact? So if you're the Suns, I think you're doing everything in your power to keep one of Aiton or Bridges. And my guess is that you would prefer to keep just Bridges based off how this whole DeAndre Aiton saga has unfolded. And so it wouldn't surprise me to see just everything on the table that is not Mikhail Bridges, Devin Booker, or Chris Paul related for this deal to come through. And that's they have the Suns just have all their own picks. They don't have any picks incoming, but they don't have any picks going out too. So they can include however the Nets want to structure it through 2029 swaps and picks alternating in years like that. Um, they have Cam Johnson. They have Jay Crowder. They have other salary matching ballast, depending on what happens with the DeAndre Ayton sign and trade. If anyone listens to this podcast or reads some of the more popular NBA writers, you know that base share compensation comes into play. That makes that difficult. Um, but because it's the off season and rosters in Brooklyn and then just around the league are so much more pliable 
you can step ladder your way to Kevin Durant with maybe not necessarily sending out a major salary. Um, I still think Aiton would be the major salary. He's just only counting as you know 15 million or whatever in outgoing money. So you have Jay Crowder then. He's at 10.2 next season. You have Dario Saric expiring, 9.3. Cameron Payne owed $6 million. Torrey Craig, 5.1 million. Cam Johnson, 5.9 million. Landry Shamit as well, 9.5 million when his extension kicks in. And so I could see a scenario in which it's salary ballast. And it's not even salary ballast. Maybe you're just dangling, hey, useful players, Jay Crowder, Cam Johnson, DeAndre Ayton, every single pick and swap under the sun. Is that the best offer on the table? Looking at what Miami's offering, looking at what Toronto's offering? I don't know. But I could see a scenario playing out where the Suns, and I, it's not even just in vision. I would almost expect this to be not just their preference, but something they're actively angling for, unless they're just like, whoa, we want to get rid of both Aiton and Mikel Bridges because Robert Sar- Sarver's a cheap-ass punk and doesn't want all these big salaries on the books. Still, if I'm Kevin Durant, big W for Devin Booker that KD wants to play with you. Chris Paul already wanted to play with you. Uh, I was not – people didn't troll me on Twitter, but they like, well, haven't you seen Devin Booker's player all-star votes? Yes, I've seen that, but there's a difference. Like, players have given all-star votes to Jamal Crawford. No one has angled to try and play with Jamal Crawford. Now that we have two just MVP candidates – wanted to go play with Devin Booker. That's fucking cool. And he's already accomplished so much. He didn't need the validation, but that's just, can we just say it? It's it's fucking cool. Um, So good for Devin Booker, totally not related, but that is my expectation. If you told me that the Suns are going to be the team that acquires Kevin Durant, I would say I'm going to step out on a limb and say there's better than a 50% chance that they keep Mikael Bridges as part of the process, because I don't necessarily buy into the notion that the Nets want immediate players as much. I also don't know if you already don't have stars in your possession and I, I don't really want to get into the Ben Simmons stuff with that Mikhail Bridges' contract isn't going to make sense for every team he is super plug and play his skill set is universally scalable but you might need him to play a bigger offensive role than he's capable of if you don't have the right talent around him he is more valuable to mega contenders like the Suns than he would be to a Brooklyn team that even wants to remain competitive is in the infancy of this transition era so I'm going to step out on a limb. I'll probably be wrong. I was already wrong about how this week would play out. Again, I didn't think it was going to be a Kevin Durant trade necessarily. I just thought there'd be other stuff just based off the murmurings that had, you know, cascaded down my direction. I, as usual, ignored the advice of people who are much smarter, more plugged in than I, though, and was wrong. So we move on. Um, If you're a Suns fan, you should just buy into what I'm saying because that is the dream is to have CP3, Mikael Bridges, Kevin Durant, and Devin Booker, and then just whatever the fuck else. Like, who, who cares? You'll be fine. Uh, and I do not, I've been asked a couple of times why I curse so much on this podcast It's really just word vomit. I'm not trying to sound tough or use it for emphasis. I'm sure I've dropped an F bomb for emphasis before. That's just how I talk. It's more so lighthearted and I'm, I'm a clown, a troll, um, however you want to phrase it. So I apologize if your children are listening to this. Um, Clay Thompson is probably flabbergasted at the language on this podcast sometimes. So again, my apologies. And I have been asked about that. I'm really not trying to be trendy or tougher or cool. I know I'm the opposite. Moving right along, uh, Mountain Dew 720 from Discord. Um, and it drew, I would say, based off their Twitter handle. Hopping on the Chet train early. What are your low, middling, and high expectations for Chet and the Thunder after his amazing, crazy debut on uh, Tuesday? So, a few things here that are tangentially related. One, I don't like... I will never call, like, there are times where I'll call out Lakers fans or Knicks fans or just fans in general. I never want to loop an entire fan base under one umbrella. My generalized advice is fan bases should not take 
their team so seriously, even if you feel like you're undercovered uh, to the point that you're offended when Kevin Clark goes on a ringer podcast and is making what was clearly just like half joke, half serious um, about how the magic made a mistake, not taking Chet Holmgren and going with Paolo Bancaro at number one. And Kevin Clark is like the most nationally recognized Orlando magic fan in the, in the Twitter sphere. He's a fantastic follow. Does a great job covering the NFL and stuff for the ringer. I get it that there are not enough podcasts and national media talking about the magic. I understand that that's going to rankle fans and as it should, like they've been, I imagine my thoughts on Markel Fultz. It's fine that you don't think I watched Markel Fultz or uh, I, it's pretty clear. I watched Franz Wagner based on where I had him in my rookie of the year voting ballot, but it's fine that you want to think that way. And I get that it's, you know, if you're trying to do actual takes, that's going to incite more of a reaction. I did not understand like the, the outrage that was thrown Kevin Clark way. Uh, by a podcast. I believe that is affiliated with Blue Wire as well. And it was other podcasts on there too. Um, jokes are fine. And that's not actively damaging. If people are buying into that as anti-magic propaganda with all sincerity, they're not like, a, they're not someone that you need to reach at all. And my issue is I, I do believe if I'm going to compliment this podcast more, give this podcast any sort of compliment, I value localized coverage so much because of the detail, the nuance, the savvy with which they're able to cover that team. And you have to admit that those people, those podcasters, those writers, those media members are going to know more about that team than someone who, like me, is tasked with covering and wants to cover the entire league at large. But I do think like it's okay to not curate the coverage you're exposed to so positively like take in some of the negative interaction to understand what's being said out there and when it's really disingenuous and not presented as a joke again at the end of the day unless we're talking about stuff that's happening off the court domestic violence systemic racism if we're talking about the actual game the magic organization as an nba entity it's not that serious i promise you this is all just like it's sports it's a game and it's entertaining, it's lucrative for one, and it means a lot to a lot to a ton of people, including myself. But like it's okay. I'm and I'm getting to Mountain Dew 720's question. To me, it's okay. Have the overreactions after Summer League. That's a part of fandom. Fandom's not meant to be rational. It's just not. When you think about how much emotionally you're invested in what these grown adults are doing on a court. Like, none of that actually makes sense. It's escapism. It's entertainment. It's awesome. I friggin' love it. You're welcome for keeping that, PG. How about that? But, like, it's okay, especially when it's a Magic fan. And, like, that is allow them their stream of conscious reactions when it's Kevin Clark. And if it is really disingenuous coverage, and if I've ever said anything that's actually disingenuous, I try to not do that, I think. Yes, I should absolutely be destroyed. And I have been. I've had DM conversations with people. I've been called out on Twitter. I've also admitted that I'm wrong, aka Dallas Mavericks fans at this point probably know what I'm talking about. So I I like I just don't understand why it has to be, oh, they need to talk about us more in a positive light. Like, no, there's like legitimacy to what criticism with the magic where they haven't had the best draft track record. That being said, yeah, recently that's not really the case. And you look at how some of those players panned out, they didn't have immense success with the magic, but Aaron Gordon's a really good player. Victor Oladipo became an all NBA player after he left Orlando. Jonathan Isaac was a defensive system unto himself before he got injured. Um, the magic also not their draft track record. They were really able to reboot Markel Fultz. We don't have to call Jalen Suggs uh, a bust after one year. And I'm still, I mean, 
I'm I I like Scotty Barnes better than Jalen Suggs now long term, but I'm like I still think Jalen Suggs is going to be one of the five to seven best players coming out of that 2021 draft class. I just allow the overreactions, allow the takes, and don't be offended by the ones that don't align with your view of the franchise. There's a difference between misinformed and then like sarcasm and attempting to actually make a point, even if it might be the wrong one. Not everything is what I'm getting at is disingenuous. That was my, I guess, not so much of a mini rant. This is all to say, Chet Holmgren is going to be the greatest player in NBA history, and the Orlando Magic fucked up in all kinds of ways here. That's not actually how I feel. Um, I've not watched a ton of the Summer League play to date. I did catch what Chet did. Um, I would like to point out that he was going up against Taco Fall. Um, the Thunder very much intrigued me. Uh, like Even just looking at what Jalen Williams was able to accomplish, Josh Giddy just looks like... And I'm lower than most on Josh Giddy. Uh, if like, I don't, it doesn't even need to say the jumper comes along, but like if there's like this score first aggressive mentality that sustains for more than a few possessions at a time, that dude might end up being really good because I'm already tracking in the wrong direction with him. He looks too good for summer league at this point. So to, <laughs> to Drew's question, and I'm sorry it took me so long to get here. I am boarding the Chet train. If we were going low, middling and high expectations, I don't want to call this the low end outcome, but there here are the things that would actually concern the highest end outcome is like Giannis Antetokounmpo and Dirk and Colin Anthony Towns and Kevin Durant got together and put their DNA together and Chet Holmgren is what popped out. Uh, but I do think that's the highest end outcome is like this mix of KD and Giannis and then like Colin Anthony Towns and Dirk. That's when you look at the ball skills he showed in that one game and look, he got on Wednesday night, Kenny Lofton jr. Uh, is clearly the greatest basketball player alive. So these takes are fluid and they're, they're changing by, by the minute. That being said with Chet, th the two concerns I have is will he fill out and get stronger to where he's not just sort of like a shot blocker or defensive disruptor, but he is someone who makes an impact by being a deterrent simply because he's on the court or being able to body up with bigger dudes, or you get to a point where you almost need him to be guarding wing type players. I think that would lower his ceiling just a, a little bit. The bigger thing is, and I know he didn't have this opportunity at Gonzaga, what does he actually become offensively? Um, he probably needs to get stronger if you want to see him deal with NBA contact, create NBA level separation. He does have the size to just raise up over everyone. If the handle has like a a quicker acceleration speed or like there's less of time it takes for him to process what he's doing, based off, I, did, I watched very little of him. I didn't watch any of him live game in college. I went back and watched before the draft. And this is basing off Summer League. If he's not able to have those like ball skills become more and the body become more of like this entire package to where he's going to go up against stronger, more athletic NBA defenders, I could just see him needing to be more of a jump shooter and maybe one who doesn't create for himself. It feels like the low end offensive outcome for him is like a Miles Turner type player where, yeah, maybe he wants to post up and take guys off the dribble, but you, you're better off with him just like camping out um, on the perimeter. Uh, and stretching the floor that way that might even be unfair just because there are a lot of people that think he's going to end up not even playing a lot of five or even four minutes at this point the fact that that feels like the low end out <laughs> just watching him though and i'm not saying he would be the same type of player rim protector miles turner is on defense that's absolutely incredible i feel like a reasonable expectation for him might be like what if miles turner was better at dribbling or had an off the bounce game like a consistent off the bounce game on offense. And then his defense was like, I don't even know what's a comp for him. If, if there's going to be a mid end outcome there, 
like a like a maxi Kleba on defense. And I'm not trying to make the I'm, I'm not really trying to go Caucasian for Caucasian here. I promise. Um, just like yeah, he's really good. He's gonna be able to hold up on switches, and Kleba's already stronger than Chet. But like, do you trust him to play a bunch of five or to be your primary big on on defense? You'd almost rather throw like that was the Mavericks made the decision to have him chase around Kawhi Leonard in the playoffs. So obviously not this season in case anyone is thinking that I've lost my mind. So like a Maxi Kleba on defense with a Miles Turner on offense feels like the a little bit better than Miles Turner on offense feels like his mid-end outcome. Um less than a or about a Miles Turner on offense feels more of the low end outcome there for him. I don't know what the low end defensive outcome would be for him. Is it just like a I, I don't even know. Just like someone who can't even be like, he's sort of the empty shot blocker type um, because it's just his rim protection is it's, again, it's more, it's disruptive in the moment more than actual prevention or because he's making the right reads. So, and then the, I already outlined the highest in outcome. I am all aboard the drew train. Um, this question is also going to be applied to Seth justice who asked Chet with a question mark. Yes, that is my answer. Chet Holmgren with a question mark. I am fascinated by the thunder. Um, and look for the Thunder specifically, they've got a nice base going now. I still don't know if I consider Josh Giddy like the type of blue chip cornerstone to pair with Shea, who is the blue chip cornerstone. I would still, I would bet on Chet Holmgren having a better chance of being that player than Giddy. But the fact that there's like three candidates there, um, and I'm very interested to see how what they do with Usman Jang. They really trust those guys who can be disruptors on defense. Now you have Lou Dort locked down. Poku, I, I thought really started to put things together last year. I And, you know, he can be all over the place. I saw someone, I wish I could tr credit them on Twitter, but th they tweeted something like, he is the best and worst case <laughs> all at once. They they have a ton of, with the two Jalen Williamses, they have a ton of bites at the apple here. And I don't know that their timeline is necessarily accelerated. I could see them being like a real defensive irritant next year. Uh, but that being said, you fast forward, skip ahead to 23 24 and this feels like a team are we talking about them like oh are they on that fringe playoff track it feels like we are closer to like we've passed we've at least entered the middle ladder middle of the thunders rebuild um which is pretty incredible because they still have a lot of assets coming their way in the form of of draft picks so i think the thunder are absolutely going to be an irritant already uh assuming they don't start shutting guys down this season but they have so many bites at the cornerstone apple now beyond and i'm throwing who's jang in there i really like him and i really like poku in addition to home grin and i'll give everybody josh giddy it feels again i'm tracking toward the the wrong end of josh giddy it feels like so thunder are absolutely going to be a fun watch this season um kyle k asks how is deandre so i'm, I'm sorry still in the league. And this is looped in with, we had two tangents, two nuggets questions from discord members um, that are coming up. I honestly don't know. Uh, he has mega star friends, which certainly helped him at one point. I think it's like you watch him, but most recently in Philly, it doesn't seem like he can jump or really move all that. Well, he's still kind of like, I don't trust him to box out as a rebounder, but if you need someone to stand still and grab a rebound, if it comes in the vicinity, like he's still kind of okay at that and so just that size and then go like this i still think the nuggets could have done better with the minimum but we're talking about filling less than 15 minutes a game probably with nicole Jokic there and then also you have the the ability with zeke Najee, jeff green and aaron gordon to run like a smaller front court where who's the five in that scenario maybe it's jeff green defending fives is zeke Najee as the primary rim protector yada 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 you could go that route so I don't know why he's still in the league. That was just, I, I mean, whew, 
<laughs> that if luckily that was not a harbinger of how the Nuggets offseason was going to go. And they'd already made like the KCP trade I thought was good, even if it looked like it was cutting payroll. To that end, though, stupid jerk. Who in Discord has been anything but a stupid jerk, in my opinion? This is probably a bit too deep into galaxy brain territory, but does a Super Bowl plus Stanley Cup win change anything about the Cronky salary budgeting for the Nuggets, positive or negative? So he had uh, stupid jerk had asked this question before the Nuggets uh, went and did everything in the offseason. Basically, we had stashed this question. So it, and it, it's even more timely now. Um, I don't know if it'll have any sort of impact. I will say, if anything, it should embolden them to be like, yo, we can we can do this. Granted, one of the markets they won in uh, was Los Angeles. It's a little bit different. That being said, they did. They're in the tax right now. They're 11 million. I have them as 11 million dollars into the tax, give or take, like whatever these salary spreadsheets are all different. Um, that being said, there's still time for them to get out of it. If things go wrong, they've never really skimped on their own talent. They, they extended Jamal Murray and Michael Porter jr. Rather than letting those guys hit restricted free agency. They just gave the supermax to Nicole Jokic. And then when I thought, I really thought they weren't going to use their mini MLE that Bruce Brown signing hell fucking. Yeah. Probably the best signing of the off season. Um, I would say what has happened for the Cronkies should embolden them to keep spending now and they've will it change the way that they view executives as maybe interchangeable i will we'll see probably not knowing them but it absolutely should motivate them to continue spending on the roster which again to give them some credit they've basically always done we have to see though and they they you know we have to see whether they can they can still duck the tax this upcoming year is what i'm saying but if the nuggets are a contender or even a really good team like if you're fourth in the west and you envision, oh, if everything goes right and we're healthy in the playoffs, we can win. Then you should still remain in the tax uh, at the end of um, at the end of next season. And I expect that even if they hadn't won a Stanley Cup and a Super Bowl, that's exactly what they uh, would would have done. So again, they ducked the tax this past year, I believe, because of the I didn't I should have looked into that more. But yeah, they ducked the tax um, last year with that sort of trade maybe unless i'm missing something here um but anyway let's just carry on that they did go that route but because of when that trade was completed is what i mean however like this is i would be shocked at this point the nuggets if they're good i don't expect them to get out of the the tax now even though they should be around 11 million dollars in like that takes you know a like that that's going to take a lot for them to get out of you're not, you're talking about dumping I guess you could still theoretically do it if it's like, okay, maybe Bruce Brown isn't working out and we have a Schmidt's expiring contract. Okay. Gone. <laughs> like, I guess you could go that way. If things go wrong, I would expect them to, to stay in it. So that is, yes. I, I, I feel like that might be a compliment. Is it too strong of a compliment? Who knows? Um, Hernspo from discord asks, is Denver considered a contender? What are they planning to do while having one of the best in the league? Are they, are they, are they planning? I'm I want to check and make sure that I didn't like misread that at all. Um I I would view them as a as a good as a contender if they're healthy. I think that's a big if with Michael Porter Jr.'s back. I'm less worried about Jamal Murray, uh, not just because we know he's like this like workaholic, but he's and he has been a tough dude. ACL injuries are just not the career enders they used to be. Uh, and even when he had his best moments on offense, like, yeah, are you worried he's going to lose some of his like stop and pop pizzazz? I suppose. But even when he had his best moments on defense, like he was never just prided on being super explosive. It was just like super tough and, and stout. 
Um, I'd be more worried about the drop-off on offense, to be honest with you. Oh, and I guess you could worry about it on defense for sure, because peak Jamal Murray is like just like you know, steamrolling people, like going through screens or just making really smart decisions and getting in front of people and just staying with them. So again, I think he's going to be fine. And if he's fine, I think that's more so the key than Michael Porter Jr., who the way your roster is built right now feels like you could essentially live without. You should be able to get enough um, shot creation all around without him. I guess you've, by getting rid of Monte Morris and Will Barton, you've kind of hurt yourself there. Like you're in a shot creation deficit. So yeah, I guess you can argue Michael Porter Jr. is more important unless you want to see more ball skills with Aaron Gordon. I'm a big believer in Bones Highland though. And that's someone who I think can pick up a ton of the slack. So even if Michael Porter Jr. can't be counted on, um, I would still call the Nuggets a contender. Uh, it's if Jamal Murray just doesn't come all the way back, I would I would be concerned. And do I think that the Nuggets have done enough to maximize Jokic's window? I would say for the most part, yeah, they seem to be straddling like sort of these semi-cash conscious lines. But like, again, the, the Monte Morris tree just made all tons of t- kinds of sense for Contavious Colo Pope and what he can do for you at the point of attack. I mean, you did go out and again, sign Bruce Brown. We'll see if his three point shot holds from, from last season. Uh, I just, I, I view them absolutely as a contender. I can't assume that they're going to be fully healthy, but I also just can't be like, well, we have to say that Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. are going to miss like 40 games each. We can't go that route either. So I view them as a contender. If all goes right for them, they, they could be the team to pick in the West. And I'm just not even kidding. Uh, the question is, if you're close, are you willing? Yeah, you've traded. And they've also traded like first round draft equity. They could technically trade a 2029 first round pick uh, if they, you know, technically it would have to convey immediately and then turn into nothing because that protected first in 2027 to OKC could spill over into 2028 and 2029, I believe. Uh, but you could trade a first round pick. It's if you're close, are you willing to go the extra mile to get what your roster is missing. I don't know what that missing piece necessarily would be at this point without playing out the season. They seem like they have probably the most well-balanced roster they've ever ascended around Nikola Jokic. I really would have liked to have seen what they looked like when they traded for Aaron Gordon in 2020, 2021 first before the Jamal Murray injury. Uh, But this is certainly to me, just looking at them on paper, the closest that they've come to having just full comprehensive coverage. Like again, maybe if you don't believe bone timeline can handle it or, Michael Porter Jr. is going to be um, in and out of the lineup or just not as good because he was he was bad before he even left for the season, but he was dealing with the back stuff before that. Maybe there's a shot creation deficit a little bit. Are you worried about the uh, bench rotation in general? Uh, what if Bones Highland doesn't pan out? Like, who are you leaning on for that? And then the backup big man rotation. Like, you're you're going to be leaning on DeAndre Jordan, Zeke Naji, and Jeff Green again. Is that there, there's some instability there? If you're able to make those upgrades, are you willing to give up an asset? to get it done. And maybe that asset is a, is a Zeke Naji. Like what if it's a going after Kenrich Williams and it's going to cost you Zeke Naji. I don't even know if, again, you have Bruce Brown and KCP. Does that even make sense? Uh, is it making, look, if maybe this season's going swell, the nuggets are four or five in the West, but Kevin Rand hasn't been traded and they have an opportunity to get him. And you're putting like all your chips on the table being maybe Michael Porter Jr. is having a fantastic year. Are you going to make that bold of a leap? There's still that question. And that's like the least likely scenario. That's actually really a terrible example, but is there, are you willing to make like smaller end moves depending on how the season plays out? That is going to cost you more assets. I personally wouldn't trade bones Highland unless it's in a blockbuster, but again, Zeke Naji being the example, um, is it pivoting to like even moving Aaron Gordon? If you, are you willing to shake it up? Aside, I, look, let's phrase it this way. You want to shake it up beyond the Jokic Murray core right now, because those are still the most untouchable players on your roster. And it 
I would still view Murray as more untouchable than not, especially now because his value isn't going to be especially high. Uh, and you typically aren't going to find teams of the, what should be the Nuggets caliber making those like wild turnover moves in the middle of the year. Those That's like more off-season oriented. So I'm looking more, not on the margins, but someone who could be, the best way to phrase it is what the Celtics did this year. I'm all over the place. I'm sorry. Uh, I have been thinking about this question though. They went after Derek White and they gave up real stuff to do it. If that missing piece or who you view as that missing piece becomes available, are you willing to go after it to that extent? In the Nuggets case, it's a little bit different just because they can't trade a first round pick to 2029. But the Celtics did give up a 2028 top one protected swap in their deal. So are you willing to make a move like that? That would be the only question you have to be in my mind when you look at just Nikola Jokic, like one of the five best players in the league. Uh, but I do think the Nuggets are a contender. How's that for just sort of a, a roundabout way of getting there? Glad has multiple questions. One I'm going to save for part two, um, which is it's a fascinating one. I've actually been dying to answer it. But this first one from Glad is, what would it take for the league to swing back towards a two big twin tower type sets of the instead of the space and pace we have now? It looks like the Rudy and Cat duel will be the closest we get. But I feel Gobert doesn't dominate enough offensively to really move the needle for a team to be like, hey, maybe we should do that. I don't know if it'll ever swing back to the way it was where you have these two bigs who play inside the arc, as well say. Rudy and Cat will probably work because Cat can still almost be a mismatch at the four spot, depending on who you put on him. You just look at his face-up ball skills. Um, I know some people are worried about how that will play out. Maybe you could even punish him with mismatches in the post um, because he can rise up and get over guys and doesn't need a ton of space to work with in there if they have these smaller players who are giving him issues. Uh on the perimeter. I also think that Rudy will be in path on offense because he's such a devastating finisher. And since Minnesota can spread the floor around him, when you look at, uh, there's still questions about their shooting, but between Edwards, D'Angelo Russell and Torian Prince or Jane McDaniels, like if you're playing three of those guys, plus Rudy and cat now, um, D or Anthony Edwards has a real rim, like a, a real physical rim diver to use in addition to a pick and pop, um, option with, Carl Anthony Towns, and maybe he's not even setting a pick if, if Rudy Gobert is, obviously. Um, this will impact Towns maybe more than most because he's probably not going to be able to, he's, you know, they'll still be staggered, but Gobert is going to have to do a lion's share of the ball screening for that to, to work out. Uh, do I see teams ever following this model in full? Um, I think it's just watch it in Minnesota. What's happening in Cleveland? Whereas of now, like Mobley has range to his game and he's more like Bam Adebayo um, ish on offense. Where he's not stretching the floor, but I could envision him getting out there further and just his ball skills when in floor game is out of this world. It's like a wing. But Allen and Mobley are two guys who are basically going to operate inside the arc. Even if Mobley and, and like Bam Adebayo, you can run fast breaks or you can attack um, going outside in. Like you're still looking to get in, is my point. Um, that will be interesting. We've also seen it work in Boston uh, with Robert Williams, the third now Horford, there's always there. Even that though, Horford is like a big who can camp out um, beyond the arc. And then it works a lot as well because even Daniel Tice, who's now not with the Celtics or Grant Williams, were able to stand beyond the arc. Um, I don't know that we're ever going to see teams invest in two bigs for the sake of defense that operate fully inside the arc. There's going to have to be an anomalous skill set to one of them skill, excuse me, one of them. And that's probably going to be, if it's not shooting, just the self-creation, the, the face-up ball skills. When you're looking at a Bam Adebayo and Evan Mobile, even a Carl Anthony Towns, who has, gives you both the space um, and those those types of ball skills. And I think if this works out, it is interesting because I do believe that the league was sort of already shifting towards, John Hollinger called it as like space ball, where it's not, you're not playing small. The I guess the skill set is considered small, but you're still using big players who just have these offensive armories 
um, and even just quickness on defense that are like guards or wings. And that's how you build out. And so then you're big and maybe you're better set to do things around the basket defensively to control the glass. Um, and then by extension, you're tougher. You can slow things down, I guess, if you want to, but you're also not sacrificing space or versatility. I think though, and this is, this was a fantastic question, by the way, glad just throwing that out there. Um, I, I think that the Timberwolves are going to be like the most powerful case study when it comes to this, but you're definitely going to be watching what's happening in Cleveland. And then we'll see if other teams try and sort of implement this into, into their arsenal. Um, I don't think, I don't even think that we're at a point where space ball is going to be the priority. Maybe Dallas is trying to do it a little bit with having Christian Wood and Dwight Powell and JaVale McGee there for some reason and Maxi Kleba. Like that's sort of the lower end of it. I, I feel like we're still, a, a wild success story away from it happening. Even the Golden State with Looney and Draymond Green does a similar thing. It's just that Draymond Green isn't a typical big. Others have pointed to Milwaukee with Giannis and Brooke Lopez. The caveats there is Lopez can still shoot and he can even put the ball on the floor, not like Bam at a bio or Colin Anthony Towns type acceleration there uh, or even stop on a dime. But like he can get his body low and he can body in the guys. I also just like is Gian, what 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 is Giannis? He's a what you call it. He's like a com, is he a big? Is he a combo forward? Is he he's his own he's his own archetype. Uh, but I, I think that the search like for those maybe the Giannis type of players or teams are at least more open to it than they are now because you're constantly trying to figure out a way to zig and zag so that um, uh, like you're not trying to do the you know and I, I thought the whole painting the league is like sort of just this mundane. Um, stylistic entity now where everyone's playing the same way was is has always been lazy because yeah some of the shot profiles might look the same but the mechanisms by which teams are generating those shots have always been vastly different but you are constantly looking for that next edge and where small ball felt like it would be in vogue maybe this big small ball where it's we want to play we want bigs on the court multiple bigs but we still want to have the option of playing four out at least on offense or having a ton of different creators on offense uh playing at the same time. That's the direction I think it would head in. Uh, but definitely like the Gobert Towns is extreme in the sense of how much equity you've now committed to that pairing where even the Celtics, like Al Horford's in the final year of his deal, but they're not even paying him and Robert Williams a combined 40 million next season with RW3's extension kicking in. Um, and that's what makes Minnesota so fascinating here. Uh, but what do I think it would take? Minnesota would have to be just a, a killer in the regular season and playoffs. And that's why I think we talked about this on the, Timberwolves jazz trade podcast, where that's where this feels like it could go off the rails in the playoffs where teams do downsize and um, you're creating problems for Minnesota on defense, not because Rudy Gobert can't switch, but just because if you can't keep up and they're able to target you, or maybe even just like if you're able to play small and defend, you might lose some um, juice from Carly Towns on offense, just depending on how big that four or bigger wing is going up against him. Are they able to take away um, what he's able to do off the dribble, where that's no longer this mismatch or an anomaly at that spot. Um, and that, you know, definitely be watching in the regular season, but if and when they get to the playoffs, that's going to be a huge harbinger of of where the league, whether the league will be more open to um, that type of a, a, a team-building concept. Uh, just a great question. Thank you. Thank you for that one, Glad. Um, Demos Quoll and from Discord, ask, let me know if I'm pronouncing your name wrong. I've said it all the time now, and it's just, it could be a disaster. 
the Celtics have the Evan Fournier trade exception, which is kind of tricky to use, but they can always absorb a bad contract like Duncan Robinson and facilitate a trade in the process. What other options do they have and which exceptions can they use with all these financial assets? Aren't they considered the favorite to repeat their player from and possibly get the job done this time? Does this imply also that uh, Udoka is, is next coach of the year? Uh, I'll answer the, the last question first. Um, I think he has as good a shot as anyone that you could throw in there. His case might also might almost be weaker if they're good right out of the, the gate because we saw this body of work from them last season. It was a better story where it was he was a rookie head coach. They turned themselves around midseason. He's certainly like, if they're going to have the type of year they just did, um, but all season rather than needing that, that mid-year turnaround, there's absolutely a possibility he will be towards the top of the coach of the year. I don't know that I would peg him as, as the favorite, though. I actually haven't given, I guess, enough thought of who I would peg as the favorite in, in that scenario. So, I mean, do I think he should have top three coach of the year? Yeah. Why not? Like Boston's so good. And that's a prerequisite of this. Um, And then it's just anecdotally, Oh, are they the Kings of the East at a time when it was supposed to be Milwaukee or Miami type deal? I could see Nick nurse being one of the coach of the year favorites next season as well. Um, Willie green in new Orleans, depending on how good they are with Zion coming back. Uh, as far as the Celtics exceptions, they already, I don't know if this has been confirmed, but they have Neil Gallinari on the mini MLE. So that exception is gone. The two things to keep an eye on are the Fo- Evan Fournier trade exception uh, expires 718, July 18th of this, this summer. It's worth $17.1 million roughly. They also have the Juan Hernan Gomez trade, trade player exception that expires in January 2019, 2023, right around the trade deadline. So they can hold on to that one. They don't have to use all of the Evan Fournier trade exception, by the way. It doesn't mean they have to take back an expensive player. That being said, if one's available, your your tax bill is already projected to to be high this year when you took on uh, Malcolm Brogdon and like you didn't shed payroll in, in the process. I think they are projected to have over a $40 million tax bill at this moment because they're nearly $20 million into the tax. Uh, if you really don't care about that, can you look at, and look, the thing with this is that these names need to become available. The ones I'm about to list off right now. Um, Duncan Robinson was interesting from, from Demos Cole. I just don't, are you going to help out Miami? Cause is that part of like them getting Kevin Durant or another player? Uh, if they're just giving him to you, are they going to want to help out Boston? Um, are you less inclined to do that now that you have Malcolm Brogdon? I think you should just focus on like the backup wing combo forward spots. Um, or maybe if you even want another like big type uh, I certainly wouldn't use like go super expensive in that department though. That's, that's for sure. I thought about Marcus Moore senior. If the Clippers think they have a surplus of wings um, and they're looking to cut their, their tax bill, he does fit into the Evan Fournier trade exception. I believe Kelly Oubre jr. What's going on in Charlotte. Um, I thought before they signed Malcolm Brogdon, Devonte Graham would be interesting. That doesn't make too much sense anymore. Terrence Ross could still make some sense. He fits into there. One that's interesting is Al Horford's coming off the books. RW3 is not expensive. The fact that he, like his extension was 448 and then Mitchell Robinson gets 60. And unless there's like non guarantees or major incentives attached to that, which I've not seen yet, my God. Uh, Rashawn Holmes fits there. And so is there like, I don't know the Kings give him up. I doubt the Kings give him up for nothing, but is there sort of just like a smaller move there where do you send out Grant Williams? Because maybe you don't want to pay his next deal, but you're willing to pay Rashawn Holmes just because he's capped where he's just making like under $14 million basically every season on this contract. And then you're safeguarded against Horford leaving after this year. Can you play Holmes and RW3 together? Holmes has dabbled in three point shooting previously, not recently. So no, but that's a route. Um, the other thing that they could look at is, and it just depends on if a KD trade sort of happens, can they facilitate like players being moved around from other teams that are getting KD? Let's use the Suns as an example. Do the Brooklyn Nets want Jay Crowder? 
Um, or can the, the Celtics throw a lower end asset into the mix that either the Nets or another team that's involved want and may take in Jay Crowder? Um, they could do the same thing with Larry Nance Jr. If the Pelicans wind up landing KD, they should probably even look at Larry Nance Jr. Regardless. I don't know why New Orleans would want to get rid of him, but he is going to be a free agent. That's something to consider. Jakob Perto would be overkill. Not that the Spurs would get KD, just having him Horford and RW three, but holy hell, imagine maybe Nerlens Noel. Um, I also thought about like, what if the Nets opt for the teardown route at some point? Uh, they, the Celtics wouldn't be a bad landing spot for Royce O'Neal. It changes when he's like your, your fourth most important wing rather than your first most important wing. Um, some even lower end options that I'll throw in here, Ken Birch, uh, Tory Craig, Phoenix could also be looking to move him uh, in advance of the KD stuff, or maybe just in general. And then Justice Winslow. I don't know what his place is in Portland. That feels more like a midseason decision they would make, and he does fit into the Juan Hernan Gomez expiring thing. Those are just some player types names that I would keep an eye on or that I like for, for Boston. I hope everyone's ready to get uh, drunk on Utah Jazz topics uh, right here. But BT Alexander asks, what's the best way for the Jazz to retool around Donovan Mitchell considering what's on the market currently? I don't really see a scenario where the Jazz trade Mitchell, so it would be interesting to hear what deals they could make for players. Happy to hear the Aiton talk uh, coming to an end. Uh, and then also, Carrigan asked the Utah Jazz. That is the question. That's a great question. Um, so for the Jazz specifically, I still don't buy that they're not going to move Donovan Mitchell. Um, I get the reasoning. They want a star there for when they host the All-Star game. I just... If if anyone's going to say screw it, it would be Danny Ainge there. And they're just such a hodgepodge right now. I don't know what their path to becoming immediately competitive is. That being said, I looked at it as they have all these first round picks. And even, you know, depending on how you feel about Leandro um, Valermo and uh, Walker Kessler, they have just like these interesting players. Then some of these shorter term contracts to match like Patrick Beverly, Malik Beasley, Mike Conley and Boyan Bogdanovich are still there. Can they get involved in the KD trade as taking on the higher-end players that, again, what if Brooklyn doesn't want to go the player route? And so you're giving up draft compensation, not all of what you got for Rudy Gobert, but a huge portion of it or a portion of it to remain competitive with Donovan Mitchell. And so like the names to monitor there would be, well, what if the Pelicans decide to get, what if they get Kevin Durant and they have to give up Brandon Ingram? What if the Nets don't want Brandon Ingram? Yeah, he's younger and he's on a, he's under contract for the next He's got four years left on, on that bad boy. Maybe he only has three guaranteed years. He's got three guaranteed years left under team control. Uh, but maybe they don't want Maybe they don't want him. Uh, can you? That would be a great pairing with Donovan Mitchell. And he improved Brent Ingram as both a playmaker, and I thought he played really well. Probably the best defensive season of his career in New Orleans. Uh, again, there might have been a year in Los Angeles where he was even better than that. Um, what about Jaron Jackson Jr.? Injured at the moment. If the Grizzlies want KD, though, that would be the name that you throw onto the table. Again, maybe the Nets don't want him. Um, if you're the Jazz, what can you give up inside from salary matching tools in draft equity to get someone like him? What if the Nuggets are giving up Michael Porter Jr.? Um, is there is there a package there where you're willing to take on the risk? That might be someone who, if you're willing to match the salary, you take on the risk and it costs you minimal draft equity. And I don't, in a nutshell, I don't think the Nuggets would be dumping MPJ right now. Um, but that would be an even consider. What if the look the Raptors framework of like OG and Trent Jr. like using them as the base? What if they use Pascal Siakam as the base as someone who is extension eligible at the moment and just like closer to thirty than twenty five? What if the Nets don't want him? Do you, if you're the Jazz and you're serious about contending around Donovan Mitchell, what does it take to bring him in? He'd be a great fit. I don't foresee them going that route because I think you need the commitment from Donovan Mitchell first, knowing that he's going to be here 
it's not just, look, you look at his contract and it's like, just commit to not trading him until the year before free agency. And then you're operating on a two-year timeline. That's like not freaking long. And you can't even guarantee he won't ask for out next summer when there are two years left on his deal before his player option. So two years before he essentially hit free agency, if everything goes right. I, without like knowing, I, I just can't picture them going after that type of a player. And so what I do could see them doing is, well, can we get stop gaps or maybe players where their value is plummeted a little bit, but they could be super helpful. Uh, or like, are we just going to go after soon to be free agents who help us now? We monitor it moving forward. And so some names here, like miles Turner, you could play him with Jared Vanderbilt up front, depending on what the cost is to get him. He's going to be a free agent. What's the cost of John Collins right now in Atlanta? He would really work. You could play him with Vanderbilt as well. Um, what would Jonathan Isaac cost you? And we actually have a question on that that I might be saving for part two still. Um, and then there's also like, again, these are mid-end guys, but Jakob Pertl, Larry Nash Jr., Josh Hart, Kyle Kuzma. They're also probably players where you're dealing with mid-season. Maybe these teams, maybe Portland season doesn't go according to plan or New Orleans season doesn't go according to plan or they're not using Larry Nash Jr. as much as they expected. Jakob Pertl is probably already available. Um, could you go that route? Um, that feels like the more likely scenario where it's kind of looking at players with distress value about to enter free agency or they're really good. They'll help you now but they won't cost as much as it would to go after another building block, like a, like just a flat-out building block to pair with Donovan Mitchell. Um, that feels like the most likely possibility for them, and it's not something that I would say is ready-made to happen right now. Again, John Collins, uh, Miles Turner, who I do like there, like, yeah, maybe them, Jakob Pertl, but there are some things that would have to spill, you know, a Kyle Kuzma. Like, those are... Um, and look, Jordan Clarkson loves Utah. He can recruit Kyle Kuzma to stay there if you're worried about him leaving in free agency. Um, and that is also going to be dependent on, well, what do the Jazz look like this season, depending on who's still there. Those are just, those are names and this like the situation types. And they can get whoever they want, aside from like a, another guard. You don't really need another guard unless they're just incredible on defense um, because Donovan Mitchell's there and you have so many. But like, you just need talent, whether it's on the front line, on the wings, another big, just, just go after that. But I, I'm still leaving open the possibility that this thing becomes a, a full-fledged teardown. Um, Carrion also asks, Vanderbilt at the five, does anyone else like this idea? I do. Uh, and you almost, look, he's going to be a five on offense regardless. So you ideally pair him with a floor-spacing big. Um, that would be good if Miles Turner, you acquire him. Or can you get, uh, again, what does Jonathan, what does Jonathan, what does John Collins cost you at this point where you don't really, he's under contract for a long time and he's, but he's also young. It's like, that would almost be an ideal where he still doesn't tether you to one timeline. You could turn around and move him if Donovan Mitchell asked her out next season, but like pairing those players with Vanderbilt and then using, um, especially with Collins Vanderbilt as your defensive anchor. I don't, I don't hate it. Uh, and look, Vanderbilt didn't play a ton of actual center for the wolves last year, 133 possessions. The Timberwolves had a 102.9 defensive rating, and they were good on the glass. 82.1 defensive rebounding rate. Played a lot of those minutes with like disruptive athleticism, I would say. Anthony Edwards and, and Jaden McDaniels, even Malik Beasley in there. Uh, the Jazz, you would want to surround him with similar talent if you're not going to have a truer big at the five. I think that takes care of Miles Turner would be just perfect there. Even, even a Larry Nance Jr. a little bit. Um, I would absolutely try it. And look, you're so small on the perimeter right now. Uh, I don't know, like someone mentioned this in discord, like you would have hired Mike D'Antoni if you wanted to get weird. Um, at the same time, like you almost, you're forced to get weird if you don't make any other moves right now. So you could still just surround him with spacing. There just wouldn't be like that disruptive size or athleticism at the moment. So 
if you could get look, Miles Turner is just the perfect acquisition to do that, or or John Collins, but I think Miles Turner is just will be will be cheaper uh, in terms of the assets they would give up. So I'm absolutely down for Vanderbilt. Look, I'm a sucker for wonky lineups, and Jared Vanderbilt is caffeine in bodily form. I tweeted that earlier today, and I would absolutely try him at the five. Maybe they still wind up moving him. Uh, though, if you have any targets that you'd like to see the Jazz go after, feel free to get at me. Let's make these the last couple ones. I told you we had a shit ton of, of questions. Um, Ian42 from Discord asks, so I've asked this question to several pundits and I've never gotten a response. Maybe you can answer it for me. In seven seasons, Gary Payton has not played. Gary Payton II has not played more than 2,000 total minutes. Last year, 1,200. Previous high minutes, 400. Why is that? Teams not knowing how to use him. League changes. The Warrior system. Based on his historical data, Payton will be a disaster for the Blazers. <laughs> Very curious on your thoughts. Thanks in advance. Ian's trying to break my heart because I love GP2. Um, I think, look, I, I thought about this with GP2 and Bruce Brown. It doesn't feel like the league was as willing to accept these oddball guard types where they're not primary facilitators. They're not good shooters. Yeah, they can defend, but they're not particularly big. So there's sort of this stigma against them. But as we saw with Bruce Brown, uh, who's a better He's like a better passer, both with the ball in his hands and even off of the you know rolls than Gary Payton II. Looking at Gary Payton II specifically, it's the Warriors were just open to using him in different ways. It helps that he hit 37.7% of his spot-up threes. That absolutely matters. But they haven't been a team that's I don't know, discriminated against size or ever pigeonholed size into a box. They were fine with moving him around defensively. So that's like one thing. Getting over this, oh, he's 6'3", he can only defend in the backcourt. No, like he was on actual wings. Um, the other thing is, can you get creative with how you use them on offense? Yes, his three-point shot was was helpful, bordering on critical to how he was used, but they used him as the role man, like as the screener and the role man. In the playoffs, minimal usage, he was injured to start. 1.43 three points per possession as the role man in the playoffs. Minimal volume. Uh, look, just getting him moving like away from the ball as a cutter. He averaged 1.6 points per possession as a cutter during the regular season. That was the best mark in the NBA among 119 players who finished at least 50 of those possession types. Um, Gary Payton II, by the way, was in the higher end of the volume there with 107. Yeah, the Warriors helped that because they know how to get players moving off the ball. Um, and they also had, uh, in a lot of lineups he played, there was enough spacing to make it easier on him where it's like, oh, not Looney and Draymond, like both clogging the floor at the same time. Uh, but the fact that he's also willing to be used like that and never fancied himself a primary ball handler, it makes it easier to use him in that vein. And the call for Russell Westbrook to set more of those ball screens and be used as a roller or just a cutter. And so I do think perception is changing. I'm not as low on what could happen with the Blazers. Uh, if, if his three point percentage falls, that could be a detriment. There are going to be lineups, especially some of the smaller ones they could run out. Even if Nurkic is on the floor where he has even more room to operate and they don't need him. They have Simons. They have Dame. They even have Jeremy Grant like to use as the primary on ball guys. If you are willing to get past this idea that Gary Payton, the second either has to take a ton of threes and make them at the super high clip and you can get him moving away from the ball easier said than done. Um, but they have the guys who can collapse defenses where he can just duck in from the corners or again, use him as the screener. It certainly helps if you have bigs on the court that can shoot threes, which the Blazers, that's not, I mean, Nurkic has dabbled. That's not going to be what he does. Um, but he could find Gary Payton the second on the short roll. Um, and I, look, I do think that you could try and run pick and roll with Gary Payton the second and a Nurk. 
And then just, if you have Dame, Anthony Simons, and you know, whoever else, Jeremy Grant or Josh Hart on the court, there's enough shooting to where, yes, he can do those basic types of reads and, in my opinion, but you just don't use them that way. And I think teams are finally starting to warm up to that idea that you don't need to have these guard types in a box. It's okay to be Gary Payton the second um, and Bruce Brown, like what they do on offense. It's you need them to hit ultra wide open threes and it's probably going to be on medium to, to super low volume, but that's okay. If you can figure out how to use them in other ways. Um, what I bet on Gary Payton the second being as useful as Portland in Portland as he was with golden state. I don't, I don't know. I can tell you, Ian, I'm way higher on um, what he will do with the Blazers than you are, unless it's health-related, of course. Um, mostly because I think that this is a league-wide trend where you're sort of understanding uh, that you can use players in those more creative or unorthodox ways. I'm going to make this the last question because I think that uh, – and Palito, you asked three. I'll get to your other two in part two. Um, but I feel like I'm losing my voice here. What do you think the Charlotte Hornets offseason looks like if everything goes perfectly from this port forward, i.e. post-Miles Bridges? Uh, let me use this opportunity to say that I think, um, look, the domestic violence stump with Miles, domestic violence accusations, claims, I mean charges against Miles Bridges at this point are real, they're genuine, um, and they need to be taken seriously. Katie Heindel, uh, who is the author of the, the Basketball Feelings newsletter and is just published all over the place, went on the Lockdown Hordes podcast, I would encourage everyone to head over to their YouTube and check out the conversations he had about the way domestic violence, Miles Bridges, but also the overarching issue of domestic violence is covered in sports media and commentary overall. Um, I'm not thinking about Miles Bridges' next contract. I don't ideally like there the the case against him like needs to be resolved in a way where he is disciplined accordingly and effectively. And like, we can't forget about this. Like that's to me, the ideal offseason for the NBA and the Hornets is let's not get caught up in what miles bridges is making or how this impacted his, his earning potential. It's about um, if anyone saw the video of his, his um, kid talking about what it was like seeing miles bridges, I believe choke. Um, I don't even want to use her name. Cause I don't even know if that's like proper, which is part of the problem. We need to educate ourselves on how to, how to recover this, but choking his mother, like having to, to see that is just that video made me want, made me want to ball and Dan damn near did um, the Hornets actual best case off season. I don't know what it looks like with the miles bridges. I think they get, did a good job concerning like resigning Cody Martin from here on out. It's I think they still probably need to acquire like a veteran big who's not Mason Plumley. So it'd be nice if you could get in on the miles Turner sweepstakes, uh, I don't even like, I don't know how this is going to impact miles bridges next contract. I frankly don't care. Uh, you do look at their team and however he's disciplined, if he's going to miss next season or a, a huge suspended for a huge chunk of next season, if not more than that, um, we can deal with that issue when it's actually an issue as of right now, miles bridges is not unsigned and uh, is not signed. And there are just way more important things going on with the Hornets to get into their actual team needs. And I don't mean to make this like a gross segue. Um, I probably would like to see them get involved on the, the miles Turner sweepstakes. Um, if not even a Jakob Pertle, you do have Mark Williams there, a lottery pick in addition to Kai Jones. I'm not telling them to mortgage the farm for all these guys, but both Pertle and Turner are going to be free agents next summer. So is there a, a world in which they just don't cost you a ton? So um, that would be like, th that would be what I think they need the most. And they're not like, drowning in wings at the moment they have kelly Oubre jr who feels like more of a like a he, kelly Oubre jr is a wing but like pj washington is not 
Um, Cody Martin is like the the close, like the second. It's him and Kelly Bree Jr. is your primary. Uh, Gordon Hayward as well. Um, it would be interesting to strengthen that spot overall, which would have to be done through trade. Uh, but I did. I like the Cody Martin bringing him back. I think they needed to because of his defensive malleability. Um, that I, ideally, though, for them, they would figure out a way to acquire a veteran big, preferably one who's either going to be one of the best rim protectors you've ever seen, or who stretches the floor, or in the case of Miles Turner, could potentially be both, and maybe just sort of changing it up on the wings because you don't have like, yeah, you can use Ubre Cody Martin against the other team's best wing, but I don't think you want to. Like, you probably want Kelly Ubre Jr. guarding a lot of like non-ball handling wings because he can take a ton of chances. I just don't consider him necessarily a wing, a primary wing defender on defense. Gordon Hayward, certainly not that anymore. Cody Martin's probably your best bet actually there. That would be something for, for them to address in, in my opinion. Uh, this mailbag was great. An hour on the button without me baking in the advertisements just yet. So thank you everyone who made it this far with me. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, th please throw us that permanent subscription uh, wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Um, refer us as well. Retweet our promotions on Twitter if you follow us at Hardwood Knox or at Damp Valley. Um, we appreciate every single one of you guys. Join our Discord. The, the link is in the YouTube description and the the podcast description. I've been told now that it's working on mobile in addition to desktop. Let me know if you have issues accessing it. Um, like I said, I, I appreciate all these questions, the engagement you guys give. And as we sort of move into the, the crux or the, the dog days of the offseason, though Kevin Durant trade is looming, I do want to thank everyone for continuing to help us build this community. Uh, I know we're not the biggest lead wide league wide podcast, but I also know that you have a lot of localized alternatives when you're a fan of a specific team. And it really does mean a lot that we have people in discord who are engaging, sending us questions um, who really just know their shit, who've helped to educate me on certain things. Uh, it's been a blast this season and we're going to continue to try and grow and we could use your help with that. So the best way to do that, the three things, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts on YouTube, and then also uh, tell people about us. Word of mouth. Shout us out on Twitter when people are looking for podcast recommendations. Throw us into, into those, uh, those types of chats. Until next time, and if you're new around here, it's like always, we give you to shout out the one, the only, the legendary, the irreplaceable, the indispensable, the future Hall of Famer, Frank Nielsen.